Welcome to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast from Worthy. I'm Mandy Walker and I'm your host. Selling a piece of jewelry like an engagement ring or wedding set can be a nightmare, but Worthy is a selling partner you can trust to work with you and for you to get the best deal on your piece. And if you're thinking it's not worth the hassle, remember that your diamond engagement ring can be the financial asset that allows you to embrace that fresh start after divorce. Worthy helps you get the best deal possible for the jewelry you've outgrown. And for a limited time, our podcast listeners can get a $100 gift card when they sell their jewelry with Worthy. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. For this episode, we're talking about how to focus on your kids through divorce, what it means and why it's important. We all love our kids and we want to do the best for them, but we often don't make smart choices during this challenging time. And those choices can have ripple effects on our kids. Joining us today is Elise Bowie, who is based in Seattle, Washington. Elise is an attorney and she's been through some of her own difficult transitions with her own divorce and then leaving New Orleans following Hurricane Katrina. She knows what it's like to be a stay-at-home mom, being thrust back into the workforce to survive, juggling a demanding career and a large family. Welcome, Elise. Thank you so much for having me, Mandy. I'm so excited to be talking to you. I wanted to start by asking you, when you say stay focused on the kids through the divorce, what do you mean by that? I mean that divorce is a huge transition and we all know all the things that can happen. If though, as somebody going through divorce, you think about putting your children's best interest in front and center in every single decision you're making, your divorce will have so much of a less impactful experience for your children. Your children will be able to thrive through the divorce. If just one parent can do this, if one parent can think, how will this impact the children? How will this decision, you know, impact their well-being and continually ask that through the divorce, your children are going to be okay in two homes because they're not going to be riddled in a conflict. And it is the conflict that harms children, not living in two separate homes. Right. That's a good point. And I also loved your phrase that you have on your, your website, which is rephrasing that into, do you love your children more than you hate your ex? <laughs> I mean, let's be serious. That is a fundamental question. And obviously so many people's answer to that is yes. Of you know, course. Of course they do. But as you said in the intro, so many times people are making decisions that would not align with that. They are making decisions that would make them think that they actually love their children less than they hate their ex. And that's why you have to ask yourself, how does every decision impact these children? You cannot ignore that question in anything. I often find myself talking to clients and they're, you know, off on these tangents about some beautiful dining room table they want to go fight about. And I'm like, really? You want to file a motion about 
you know, this, like, how is that going to impact your co-parenting relationship? How is that going to impact your children? If you take away the dining room table that they sit and do all their homework on, like, is this really the right thing to do? And a lot of times my clients, they'll be like, well, I don't know. I haven't thought about that. I'm like, well, then hang up the phone and we're not having this conversation. (laughs) Like, think about that and then call me back. Right. And so really trying to train people to think about it and really think about the tenor and the nature of that co-parent relationship and the impact to the children, direct impacts and indirect impacts. It must be considered in all decisions. And at the same time, I think there's a there's a line, there's a balancing point because I don't think you'd be telling somebody that they should be settling for some less than equitable financial settlement or being like coerced into accepting something that the law would actually provide for because no way the court battle isn't good for the kids. No, you absolutely have to be able to draw boundaries. And I mean, when we talk about finances, I mean, what is good for the children? What is good for the children is to live in two financially stable homes. Not to have one home where, you know, somebody is struggling to put food on the table while the other home is, you know, buying expensive, you know, vacations all around Europe. I mean, it obviously it is so important that the homes are financially balanced in a way that the law provides. Obviously, every state is different here in Washington. We have community property laws. So there's a lot of equitable distribution, you know, of community property and depending on the length of the marriage. And so there's a lot of factors that go into that. But I think, I mean, shorting your children on the finances is definitely not putting your children's interests first because people have to consider how that is going to play out. I mean, we all have seen that situation, you know, stereotypically where a woman ends up with so much less money and in such a bad situation. And then those children end up in a pretty bad situation as well, while mom is struggling to, you know, patch it all together. And that is very hard. Right. And that goes on for years and years and years. I I mean, that's one of the things that I try and stress to my clients is about negotiation fatigue. And like, no, this is, you're really building the next phase of your life here. So, you know, I just want to make sure that our listeners understand when we talk about putting their children first, it doesn't mean sacrificing your well-being and your own future financial well-being. I I liked what you said about establishing boundaries. Oh, boundaries. I mean, you know, boundaries are critical (laughs) in this process. And the other thing I think people have to consider, I mean, you know, we all don't want to find ourselves relying on our children for help. And so when I talk about finances with people, I always want people to really be thinking about, you know, what does this look like long-term? Because I mean, like you mentioned so aptly about negotiation fatigue and people think, oh, it doesn't matter, you know, this couple hundred dollars a month. I'm like, oh no, that matters. I'm like, we are going to crunch those numbers and you're going to see what this matters. Like if those couple hundred dollars a month were put in, you know, a 401k or some type of investment account, what that can look like for you when you're 70, 80, 90 years old, like it matters. And helping people, I think part of our role, I mean, so much of our role is that education piece. 
really helping people understand what the reality is of the decisions they're making so that they can be making super informed decisions, not decisions based on fatigue. Right. So looking at your website, which I have to say, I'm very impressed. I'm so, I love all the materials that you put out. I think our listeners, if they visited there, would find a lot of great resources. You do have an article about putting your kids first. And in that article, one of your strategies you talk about is keep doing the invisible labor. And I have to tell you that kind of triggered with me or or resonated with me. I don't know, maybe it triggered me because during the marriage, I couldn't understand why my husband would say, I'll do anything you want me to do. I just, you just have to tell me, well, it's like, surely you can see when the trash can is full and needs emptying. Why do you need me to tell you? And that's what the invisible labor (laughs) brought to my mind. (laughs) Well, it's so true. I mean, I, have you read Eve Rodsky's book called Fair Play? That has really opened my eyes to invisible labor in a way that I did not fully appreciate. And I mean, I'm going to step back to the article. One of the things that is very important to me is our children don't ask to go through this divorce. They're innocent in this entire process. So anything as a parent that we can do to not put the burden of the divorce on the children is going to benefit them. And so if that means you're in a co-parent relationship and let's say your co-parent strengths, maybe they're not making the doctor appointments and planning for those appointments. Instead of you you know, being angry about it every time you've got to make an appointment or, you know, in slamming things around your house, making it obvious to the children that, you know, you think you shouldn't have to be doing this, that somebody else should be doing this. That is not helping your children at all. While I would love to, you know, live in the utopia where we could get that other co-parent to the place of being able to do it. And I'm going to get there. So hold on a minute because there are tools now. (laughs) It is important that the children stay out of that. And so if what you have to do is make that doctor appointment and you need to do it, if it's in front of your children, you need to put on your smiley face, do it. Because the impact on the child through that anger and through that resentment is profound. Psychological damage occurs to children when they are constantly brought into the conflict and negativity of divorce. I think even if they don't hear you make a comment about, or maybe they, it's just like, oh my God, I just have to make that doctor's appointment or something like that. You know, I don't understand why your dad can't do it. Or even if it's not expressed that way, then they pick up on that tension, don't they? And they can something's wrong. And that kind 100%. of like makes them like guarded and like fearful about, well, I don't want to say this to to mom because that'll make her mad about dad. And I don't want to make mom mad. And people don't always understand the impact of even something that seems like it's pretty benign, you know, just an off the cuff comment like that, the, the ripple effects that that can have. 
So they're huge. And I mean, the reality is this child is half the mom and half the dad. And if somebody is always angry, you know, and saying these insidious, but little things, you know, like, well, your dad could never do this right. Or, you know, why can't your dad make this appointment? And why do I have to do all this? It literally just eats away at that child's self-esteem. And I mean, it is very impactful to the child in a negative way. And so, I mean, I am a firm believer in I did not want to cause my children psychological harm if I could avoid that. I didn't want to pay for it later. I didn't want to deal with the (laughs) ramifications of it later. Like, you know, I really just felt very strongly that I wanted them to be super strong and be able to have a a good rapport with their father in whatever way that works for them. That being said, once this Eve Rodsky's book of fair play came out that really delineated this invisible labor in a way, I mean, they went through and, you know, talked about some of the very important aspects of the invisible labor, the, you know, conceptualizing things, planning and executing. And obviously, you know, that's a huge thing. Eve has a set of cards as part of the fair play book. And there are a hundred cards and 40 of them are child related tasks. Now I really encourage my divorce clients to go through those 40 cards and let's look at what can we give mom to do and have a total owner's mindset over the whole thing and what can dad do and really divvy up those cards in such a way where the labor is now not invisible. It's out in the open. You can see the card and be like, oh, we got to make dental appointments. Maybe dad's never made dental appointments before. So, you know, we need to look at that and know that and have those conversations during the divorce. Bringing that invisible labor to the forefront is one way as professionals we can help parents keep their children's needs front and center. Thank you, Elise, for mentioning about Eve Brodsky, because I'm not familiar with her work, but it sounds like that would be really a valuable resource for our clients. I have more questions about that, but first we're going to take a break and then I'll be back to you. Moving past divorce is hard enough without your old engagement ring staring you in the eye every time you open your jewelry box. With Worthy, you'll find a selling partner who will help you transform your rings from dusty relics of hard times to a financial asset to help you start fresh. Worthy takes care of everything from insurance coverage to secure shipping, professional grading, and more. So when you're ready to sell, partner with Worthy. We're ready when you are. And for a limited time, our podcast listeners can get an extra $100 to Amazon when they sell their jewelry with Worthy. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Welcome to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle. I'm your host, Mandy Walker. And in this episode, we're talking about how to focus on your kids through divorce with Seattle-based family law attorney, Elise Bowie. Elise, before the break, we were talking about invisible labor and having the conversations at the time that you're getting divorced about how to divide some of those labor things. And I was just thinking it's that time that when you're getting divorced, it's not just about ending the marriage and dividing the finances, but perhaps more critically, 
that is about laying the foundation for co-parenting because that's going to continue on and on. I mean, my kids now are 28, soon to be 29 and 25, and it continues. It never ends. Exactly. It's critical. I mean, learning the skills of divvying up that invisible labor, but then also the visible labor of raising children. I mean, you and I both know, I mean, many people divorce over this invisible labor issue. Like, you know, they are just pent up with resentment about how their partner didn't do anything like their fair share of what should have been done. And fair play in the cards that Eve has created truly are amazing at helping couples understand. And when I say couples, I mean co-parents, like you don't have to be in a, a, a relationship where they can see what needs to be done and really divide those up. And I mean, we have our clients sometimes work with a divorce coach or a co-parent coach where they are talking about that. And they're talking about, you know, how will this look for this semester of school? Because you know how it is. Sometimes during one semester, you might have high extracurricular activities. And so we need more coordination, more help. But I mean, there's a lot that fair play can bring to divorcing couples to build that framework so that they can successfully co-parent in two homes with as limited conflict as possible. And I mean, that is the key to these kids' success is limiting the conflict. And one strategy for doing that, if you really are struggling with that communication with your child's other parent. And I like to use that phrase and I'm using it very intentionally rather than your ex, it's your child's other parent, Mm -hmm. is to accept things that they're not good at. And if you were the one that did all the scheduling for the doctor's appointment or kept the school calendar, then keeping that going is important for your children. And if it's important for your children and it's something that your child's other parent really isn't going to do, then suck it up and do it. Well, and the reality is, and I mean, I don't mean to knock us women, but we sometimes forget what we are bad at. And we tend to want to only say what the other parent is bad at. We all have strengths and we all have weaknesses. And I am a firm believer in co-parenting in your strengths. Like, let's figure out what mom is great at and let mom do that. Let's figure out what dad is great at. Let dad do that. We might have some stuff we can delegate. We might have some stuff that we just don't value and don't care about. And we don't need to be doing that, you know, but having those conversations and coming to that place and understanding what those things are is, I mean, if you can get co-parents to do that through the divorce process, even if they haven't been able to do it in their marriage, talk about game changing for children. Right. This sounds like that's kind of going in towards your second strategy that you talk about is to model positive behaviors. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I know that we could probably have a whole show on that alone here. But what I'm hearing is that like recognizing the strengths of your child's other parent is a positive behavior that will reinforce that the children will say, oh, that's great. It's like, I mean, I came to realize for my children's other parent, he would do absolutely anything for them, but he just needs to be asked. But there isn't anything, there's practically isn't anything that he wouldn't do for them, but he doesn't necessarily see it. 
there is something very positive in having another parent who will do absolutely anything for their children if asked. I mean, and you and I both have seen parents who aren't that, who won't do anything, you know, and who will be like, well, no, I'm no longer paying for private school, though I've paid for it for 10 years. You know, I've decided now's the time to quit. So, I mean, I think finding those strengths and figuring out how you can really come together as co-parents in your strengths, because maybe, I mean, you think of somebody like you'd mentioned who doesn't see it, maybe part of mom's strength is seeing it. You know, maybe that is part of the thing. Like mom is going to be like the strategic thinker of things. And maybe they're going to sit down and have meetings, like strategic meetings about what is mom seeing that, you know, needs to happen that maybe dad isn't seeing, knowing that dad will be a big support in executing on those things that mom strategically lays out. That is a perfectly viable way to successfully work to your strengths. So what else would you say? What's your favorite? If you had to choose just one positive behavior for people to model, what would that be? It is finding the other parent's strengths. I mean, I have to tell you, like in our home, I mean, when I went through a divorce, my ex is truly a magical cooker. He is able to look in a refrigerator, which I think has nothing in it and looks just barren he can put together a gourmet meal with what presumably is nothing. I have watched him do it a thousand times. So sometimes when my children were like, you know, what are we having for dinner or whatever? I was like, this would be a great night for you to call your dad because your dad is an amazing (laughs) cook. And I was like, if y'all called your dad, and told him you wanted to come over for dinner, he would be able to whip you up some amazing dinner. And he was always happy to do that. And so the kids then got to this mindset of, oh, yeah, dad's an amazing cook. Like he can make some great dinners. We have great conversations over dinner. And to me, that's even if I was furious at him that day for something else, being able to point out what his strengths are and point out what value he and the children can share together that helps them be able to do that all the time on their own, you know, where they're thinking about their father or their mother in a positive way. And I think of co-parenting that there's a bank and you have to make deposits into the bank. And when there's deposits in the bank, it makes withdrawals easier So like doing something like that and saying to your children, well, why don't you call your dad and see if he's up for cooking dinner, then he probably appreciates that as additional time with his kids. That's like, wow, yeah, of course. That's a credit in the bank on your side. Exactly. Exactly. So like being able to be flexible and talk about these things means that when you have that request to say, hey, my brother is coming into town. I'd like to shift the parenting schedule a little bit so the kids can see their uncle. Would that work with you? Exactly. I mean, it takes two in many ways, you know, to work out this where you can be truly flexible and flexible obviously is so important for the children. I mean, being able to honor the children's needs too. Like if a child gets invited to a party or invited to spend the night at a friend's house, you know, when you have that 
other parent who might be like, well, that's my time. You know, I'm not letting Susie Q go spend the night at her friend's house on my time. And it's like, okay, we're missing the point here. The point is it's their time. It's the children's time. And if the child, if it's appropriate for the child to go spend the night at their friend's house, that should be appropriate at either home, you know, whether it's mom's home or dad's home, but being able to have those conversations and really keep those children's needs front and center just makes everything go better. I mean, your whole life goes so much better. Agreed. A hundred percent with that. I'm going to shift gears a little bit, maybe. I would really love to get your input on this. It's a, a topic that can be very contentious, but there's a difference between, I, I think, focusing on your children and focusing on what's best for the children doesn't mean giving your children decision-making authority. It doesn't mean that they get to say, hey, no, I know it's dad's time. I'm just not going. It's not what I want to do. No way. I mean, here in Washington, that's a big old no way. Like the courts don't allow it. The courts come down hard on parents who try to do that. And I mean, actually, parents are given admonition about what they must do to encourage the child to go. So, I mean, it's a really hard no here in Washington. And it should be, in my opinion. I mean, children, I mean, if we let our children have quote unquote decision making, most of our children aren't going to school. Very few of them are doing their homework. Some of them might not even be bathing. Um, And things could really deteriorate quickly, you know? And I think that as co-parents, I mean, all of the social science research tells us a healthy relationship with both parent is the ideal for a child. And, you know, obviously healthy is the important thing. I mean, you know, obviously we're not talking about those situations where, you know, there's factors outside of healthy, like domestic violence or active substance abuse or, you know, so we kind of have to put those in a box and we can do a whole nother podcast on those, you know, but if you have two competent parents and I mean, competent doesn't mean a plus either. I mean, you can be a C plus parent and be a competent parent and be healthy for your children. It is important for those children to have those relationships. And I think it is our responsibility as co-parents to help the children see that and enforce it, you know, to really encourage that time. I mean, and I also selfishly, as a single mom during parts of my life, you know, with children, you need that time. I mean, and so many people during the divorce, they're like, I want all this, I want all this time. And I'm like, girl, you don't really want all that time. Like, I mean, you're going to want some downtime, I can assure you. And trying to help people see that time as positive for themselves. And I mean, here I'm going to push another Eve Rotsky book. She has a book called Find Your Unicorn Space, helping women get back to their creative sides and find something that really they're passionate about can make this transition on the other side of divorce to be one of the most empowering, positive transitions. And having some of that time to yourself is what fuels that. And so there's so much mindset work that goes into this, you know, trying to 
understand that it's good for your children to be with another healthy, that other parent, that you can take that time, use it positively, bring joy to yourself. And then when your children come back, you are that much better a parent. Right. And I think I'm just kind of going back a little bit. I'm wondering if sometimes when children say they they don't want to go to dad's house, that's a common thing that I hear about is when mom doesn't want to encourage them, it's kind of copping out of a difficult situation or or difficult conversation because they they want to be friends with their kids. They don't want their kids to be annoyed with them. Sometimes it, it really does mean like, you are the person, you and your child's other parents are the person, people who are responsible for the children. And you're the ones that make the decisions. I always say to people, you can ask your child for input because they do like to have a voice, but that's very different than them making a decision. Absolutely. I mean, just like the school issue, you might ask your child for input on what size classroom works best for them, where, you know, do they want to go to school in an urban setting or a rural setting, like help them understand what works best for them. But you're likely not going to say, do you want to go to school or not? You know, do or, or you which school do you want to go to? I think that it is very important to be able to make those decisions and have those tough conversations. I mean, you know, I'm a firm believer in radical candor and just being able to to learn how to really care personally about another person and yet be able to challenge directly. And I mean, your children are a perfect example of that, you know, and I don't think of it as a, a friend role. You know, I definitely think of it more, you're stewarding their lives. And part of that stewardship is having tough conversations and being honest about you know, maybe why you're doing what you're doing and how it's important for them. And in our world, they surely don't get to make the decision about whether they go or not. Thank you. And that's the same same here in Colorado. So we're almost out of time, Elise. I can't believe it, but I'm wondering if you've got one more gem that you'd like to share with our listeners about what it means to focus on your children during divorce. One thing that comes to mind, co-parenting is not a competitive sport. (laughs) Co-parenting. As we watch the Olympics right now. (laughs) Right, exactly. Co-parenting is a collaborative venture. And I have heard people so many times, you know, say things like, well, I was the one who made all the doctor appointments and I was the primary caretaker, you know, when they were young. So I should have sole decision-making. Like, you know, I'm the one who does this. I mean, I, I find myself all the time. I'm like, is it that you believe you, the other parent is intellectually incapable of doing it? Or was this the division of labor in your home, whether it was intentional division of labor or unintentional? Was that how it played out? And it doesn't mean that that other person can't learn some skills. It is helpful to have an actual co-parent, and I call them co-captains or co-CEOs of team child. I mean, to have another human who is on par with you as parents of these children, trying to maximize these children's lives, That's powerful support if you let it be. Right. And I think the kicker there is if you let it be. It completely is. So that's fabulous, Elise. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your expertise. 
Thank you so much for having me. Listeners, my guest today was Seattle-based attorney Elise Bowie. Elise publishes a lot of very informative content on her website. Visit it at EliseBowieFamilyLaw.com. That's B-U-I-E for Bowie. And we'll make sure that the website and all Elise's social media contacts are in the show notes so that you can follow her. And I promise you, it'll be well worth it. Thank you so much, Mandy. Thanks for listening to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast from Worthy dedicated to celebrating women like you as you embrace a new beginning after divorce, separation, or whatever. Worthy is a selling partner with an online auction platform designed to help you sell your jewelry, such as an engagement ring or wedding set. When you decide to send your ring, Worthy takes care of the shipping and insurance to ensure that it arrives safely at our New York office. Once your jewelry arrives, the team at Worthy professionally cleans and photographs it before sending it out to a grading lab. All of these steps are designed to maximize your price in Worthy's online auction, where hundreds of buyers compete for your piece. One of the best parts of selling with Worthy is that you are completely in control. You'll work with Worthy's team to set a reserve price before the auction starts, keeping you in control of how much your ring sells for. If the highest bid comes in below that threshold and you decide not to accept it, we will send your ring back to you and we'll even cover the costs of the insured shipping again. Let us help you get the best deal possible for the jewelry you've outgrown. Are you ready to embrace your fresh start? Us too. And for a limited time, our podcast listeners can get an extra $100 to Amazon when they sell their jewelry with Worthy. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Make sure you subscribe so you can catch every new episode of Divorce and Other Things in your weekly feed. If you like what you hear, rate and review us to help other women like you find us. This podcast is for you. So reach out to us at podcastworthy.com to let us know what you think and what you want to hear. We look forward to hearing from you. And you can also find more episodes at worthy.com forward slash podcast.